This is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning, everyone. So, how's your summer? Good summer? Good cricket? England are doing great. But India are doing better. <laughs> now, I learned this from Martin, my good friend, Martin Tibert. So he supports a football team called Crystal Palace. And each time Crystal Palace calls a goal, he says, Crystal Palace. So I'm saying, India. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, um, I was in community group, and um, I was sitting down. And Tim Green, you know, one of the leaders, you know, he is part of our community group. He came and uh, knelt by my side. So I was wondering why is he giving me so much honor? <laughs> and uh, then he told me, uh, Ensign, you know, thanks for agreeing to, you know, take part in this uh, preaching series. And uh, so we are doing, you know, heroes from the Old Testament. So who would you pick? So the first thing that came to mind, uh, I said, uh, the fleece guy, the guy who was playing around with the fleece. So he said, you mean Gideon? I said, yeah, Gideon. Uh, so he told me, Crystal Palace have nicked, has nicked him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then he said, let me give you the bad news. The bad news is that all the preachers have taken their pick. But the good news is that there are still lots of characters available for you to pick. So give me a list of the ones who were picked. And I thought, okay, I'll do Abraham, okay? So here we are, my hero, Abraham. So Abraham is someone who is held out to us in scripture as the great pioneer of faith. He is central to the development of New Testament theology and his name is mentioned in the New Testament approximately 60 times. He's a big, big character, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And uh, he was initially a city dweller, and he was an idol worshiper, and, um, and he was in, in, in a city called the Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in Babylon, which is in present-day Iraq. And uh, so we have somebody in the church who comes from, from that place called uh, Sarah Masi. She, she is at the west side. And uh, then he was later in a city called Haran, and then he became a migrant nomad. So God called him, this man, out of the Mesopotamian culture to live as a pilgrim so that he can learn the fundamental lessons of what it means to trust God. He is the paradigm of faith in God, the model of faith in God. Eventually, in the fullness of time, he will come to be far overshadowed by one who is called the seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Most of us who, you know, sitting here know the story of Abraham, and you know that he was an ordinary person like you and me, with lots of failures and uh, lots of weaknesses. Uh, but, you know, he learned to trust in God, and when we consider the fact, this fact, then there is hope for each one of us sitting here. You see, the biggest problem that all of us face is the undermining of our confidence in God and his word 
on a regular basis, on a daily basis. The enemy knows this. He will do everything he can to undermine our confidence in God and his word. So let us look at Abraham's life and see how he did it, and maybe we can learn a lesson or two. Now, Abraham is a big, big story in, in, in the book of Genesis, and I can't do justice to that in half an hour. So I have chosen five points that I'll be sharing with you this morning. And the first one is this, Abraham's response to God's calling. Now we know that uh, when God speaks to Abraham, he's about 75 years old, and we see you know, that in Genesis 12, uh, the Lord appears to Abraham and says, uh, Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the next verse says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Now when we think about it, Abraham left for Canaan, is that it? Is that as simple as that? God spoke and Abraham left? I doubt it. You know, the so question that we have to ask ourselves is why did Abraham leave for Canaan? It's not clear from this passage. The Bible doesn't, does, does not record everything, all that goes on. But we can presume that the way God spoke to Abraham or appeared to Abraham, he must have been convinced that this is the voice of God. Maybe God had been revealing himself to Abraham for a little while. He's been speaking and Abraham has been having some transactions or conversations with God. And we see this now on a regular basis. You go to YouTube and we have videos and testimonies of people in Islamic nations, you know, so there are people, Muslims, they have this vision or dream about Jesus. Jesus appears to them and they have this peace and joy in their life and they search out, you know, Christians and ask them about this, you know, vision and they're given Bibles, they read the Bible and get to know God personally and they become Christians. This happens. And my story is no different. When I was young, when I was in school, my parents put me into boarding school. And uh, the boarding school was a Hindu mission school. And um, I don't know why they put me there, but that is where I was. And um, so I, you know, we were, we had to, you know, it was, a, you know, it was a proper Hindu mission school. So we had to be in the prayer hall twice a day where the pictures of all their gods were kept, you know, we had to worship the Hindu gods, you know, they were doing this, you know, worship with fire and everything. And I used to read the Gita twice a day. And there was a photo of Jesus as well, you know, uh, or so-called photo. And I used to go down and bow before the photo, you know, thinking that is the right thing to do because I thought I was a Christian and I thought, you know, maybe this is, I should, you know, I should cross all the T's and dot all the I's, so I did that. And, um, but I was, I was keen to explore God because I knew there was a person called God and I was, you know, explored Hinduism, Buddhism, everything that was on offer. And I found that they were not, the texts and the stories were not internally consistent. There were so many contradictions and all of those things. And I thought, this can't be right. This can't be God. Okay. So I was like that. Then I went to medical school. When I was 18, I went to medical school. And uh, in the first week, you know, some of the seniors came to, you know, you know, to us freshers and invited us to the Bible, to a Bible study group, which they have, you know, uh, on a weekly basis. And I thought, look, 
I'm a Christian, but I don't know anything about the Bible. I know a lot about Hinduism and Buddhism. Let me go, this will be beneficial for me. So someone gave me the Bible, they showed me, they you know, discussed the importance of reading the Bible on a daily basis. So I took it very seriously. I was a keen student of the Bible. I was not a Christian at that time. So I spent an hour in the morning reading the New Testament and praying, an hour in the evening doing the Old Testament. And after a little while, I came to realize that I was a sinner. And uh, so I came to God and said, God, look, I'm a sinner. I agree I'm a sinner. You're God. Please forgive me. Please cleanse me from all my sins. And I felt happy because I felt lighter. Then after a little while, I recognized that I had to give my life over to God and accept him as the Lord of my life, which means he's going to be the boss of my life. And I thought, wow, that's going to be tough. That's going to be difficult. I'm 20 years old. <clears throat> and um, I, when I did all my studies and everything, I wanted to become a, a doctor, do my postgraduate training, become a famous, well-recognized doctor, okay? Uh, buy the best house I can, marry the most beautiful woman uh, you know, on earth, okay? I'll tell you a secret. This is what every... You know, this is what in the mind of every man, okay? To marry the most beautiful woman. And ladies, let me tell you, each one of you here, you're the most beautiful woman you know, in your own way, okay? Praise God for that. <clears throat> and, and I thought, oh, I was, I was worried. I thought, you know, the first thing, if I give my life to God, God will tell me, go to Nepal. You know, because Nepal is about India. Go to Nepal as a missionary. And I thought, what will happen to my medical degree and all the dreams that I had? And I was scared. But as I kept persevering you know, with God, I you know, fell in love with God. I fell in love with Jesus. And that's what happened. So a time came in my life that I could not say no to God. So one night, I went on my knees in my bed and I told Jesus, Jesus, even if I don't become a doctor, even if I don't have a postgraduate degree, even if I don't have much money, even if I don't have the most beautiful woman, you know, I want you. I give up all these things to have you. And that's when I became a Christian for the first time. Now, atheists would say that people like you and me and people like Abraham are lazy and we don't do any investigation or ask questions and a belief in God is not based on any evidence. It's wishy-washy. And this is completely wrong. I feel it's they who are in the wrong. I've been listening to a lot of debates online, Dawkins and Atkins and Hawking and all of these people. And all that I hear from them is, they say, oh, we know the processes, you know, that kick-started all of these things. We know the process of, uh, of uh, you know, creation of evolution and everything. Oh, some atoms collided with each other. They became molecules, and molecules collided with each other. They became proteins, and proteins then became DNA. DNA is a language of life. You know, those who know DNA will know that it's just impossible. Software doesn't happen just like that. A book doesn't happen just like that, okay? And, uh, and also from the evidence available, particularly from Professor Stephen Hawking, we know that the universe started from a singularity, from a point, there was a beginning, before which there was nothing. And they don't have a clue what kick-started everything off. They are the ones without any evidence. They are the ones. You see, I'm a man of science, and science is good. 
We have nothing against science. This is not a competition between religion and science. We have nothing against science. In fact, scientists have done a huge amount of work, a good amount of work, and we have all been the beneficiaries of science. Hallelujah. But unfortunately, when it comes to creation, when it comes to evolution, when it comes to God, all their scientific principles, scientific methods just go out of the window. Okay? It's just conjectures, just theories. It's nothing but fiction. Okay? Now let me make it a bit more easier for you. Let me give you some illustrations. Most of you here in this room, you have taken medicines, haven't you? Or some of you take medicines on a regular basis. Now you know that before these medications can be prescribed, they have to be put through clinical trials. Okay? And each medication has to meet what is called statistical significance. Okay? And uh, there are so many tools that uh, intelligent statisticians use. Okay? One of the tools is a p-value. So I'm giving you one thing, just to whet your appetite. Okay? So it's a p-value. So the p-value is less than 0.05, then we say it's clinically significant. The p-value of less than 0.05 means that the chances of this medication being ineffective or wrong is 1 in 20 or 5%. Such a small number. All right? Now look at God. Why do you think the Bible was written over a 1,500 year period? It was written for a reason. It was written so that anyone who examines it with a good heart will understand that God is a genuine article. Can I encourage you to read two chapters in the book, you know, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was written 600 years before Christ. Look at two chapters, chapters 45 and 46. In that, God challenges all the other people, all the gods in the world, and he says, I alone am God, and there is no one besides me, for I alone can predict the future. And he says, I am a righteous God, a savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. So he challenges all of us. He challenges all the gods in the world. Come up. You know, can you predict the future? And people have looked into these claims. And one of these guys is a guy called Peter Stoner. He was the chairman of mathematics and astronomy and later became the chairman of science. And he did all his work and published his con conclusions in a journal called Science Speaks. And this was independently verified by the American Scientific Affiliation and found to be in keeping with the principles of statistics. Now what Stoner did was Stoner chose eight of the most well-known prophecies about the Messiah and he did his calculations. And his calculations showed that the odds of these eight prophecies being fulfilled, being accidentally fulfilled in one person is one in 10 raised to the power 17. One followed by 17 zeros, not one in 20, okay? One in 10 to the power 17. It's one in 100 quadrillion, okay? And to give us an illustration of this size, of this number, he said, uh, he said, you know, take one silver dollar coins, okay? And take 10 times, you know, 10 raised to the power 17 silver dollar coins and put them over the state of Texas, which is a huge state in the southern United States. And he said, if you put these coins over the state of Texas, it'll cover, you know, the state of Texas knee deep, okay? 
that is the number that we're talking about. Then he says, take one coin, put a mark on it, and hide it in this pile, and then take a man, blindfold him, make him walk the length and breadth of Texas, and ask him, give him enough time, plenty of time, and let him pick one coin. If he picks a coin, the coin with the mark, that is the figure that we are talking about, one in 10 raised to the power of 17. Okay, such a huge number, okay? It can't be wrong, it can't be wrong. When people say that the fulfillment of prophecy in the life of Jesus was accidental or he fabricated it, they do not know what they're talking about. Keep in mind that Jesus not only fulfilled eight prophecies, he fulfilled more than 100 prophecies. And one of the prophecies that Jesus himself made 2,000 years ago has been fulfilled in my lifetime, which is a regathering of Jews to form the nation of Israel. He said this 2,000 years ago before his crucifixion. And it's relevant in our time. So the evidence that God has put in the Bible is way more significant that, than what modern scientists are used to. Abraham had evidence building up over a period of time so did I, and so do the, the Muslims who have visions of Jesus, and so do you. Most of you have put your trust in Jesus because on the basis of evidence, not just blind faith. Jesus once said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your minds. He said, it's not blind faith. He said, guys, I've given you brains, okay? Use your brains. Examine the scriptures, explore the scriptures, explore me. And I'm inviting you to explore the scriptures. Jesus is inviting you to come and explore the scriptures. If there's anyone here who has not explored, I invite you to come. I can assure you that you will not only find that the Bible is true, but you'll also find that Jesus is the real deal. So let's come to the second you know, point that I want to make. The second point that I want to share is Abraham worshipped God. You see, we find that wherever Abraham went to a new place, you know, like Shechem, to Bethel, to Hebron, to Beersheba, he was in the habit of building an altar and worshipping God. Okay? So this we see is a special sort of worship, expressing his love and gratitude to God, and has been described approximately four times in the life of Abraham. This is not something that happens on a daily basis, and it's equivalent to what we do here on a Sunday. You see, we have seven days a week, 168 hours a week, out of which we spend one and a half hours once a week, you know, to come together in a special way to worship God, where we express our thanksgiving and appreciation to God. It is special, it's beautiful. And we are not alone when we are doing this. God himself is amongst us and we can feel the tangible presence of God when we worship him. And he moves amongst us and he enables us to bring contributions which are nothing but a reflection of his presence amongst us. So there are two parties involved in this process of worship. But what about the rest of the time? The remaining 166 hours or whatever that is left. So let us look at an example from a day in the life of Abraham. So we fast forward to Genesis 15. And uh, so before this happens, you know, Abraham has had a, had a great victory. So he, his, uh, his nephew Lot and family have been taken captive together with five kings. Four kings have attacked them, 
you know, joined together to attack them and five kings have been taken captive and all that they had together with his nephew Lot. And when Abraham gets news of this, he goes with his men, overcomes these kings and uh, sets his you know, uh, nephew free. And then Abraham encounters the king of Salem, Melchizedek. You've probably heard of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham, saying, Abraham, you are blessed you know, by God most high and all of those things. And Abraham makes a great statement before the king of Sodom, saying, look, I'm on the side of God and all of those things. He's flying high, okay? He's flying high. And then he comes back to his camp. He's in his tent. You know, he feels there's a big burden over him, okay, big burden. And the reason we find later on is that he doesn't have any children. You know, he's childless. He and Sarah are childless. And so he's thinking, what will happen to me? What will happen to my estate? My servant, Eliazar, is going to inherit all of these things. I'm going to die childless. And, you know, he is so restless. He's got such a burden. And um, he's brooding, sulking, and all of those things. And we find that God appears to Abraham in a vision. And this is what God says. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your reward, Abraham. Don't worry. Okay? And then he goes on to say that, Abraham, you know, you will have a son. You know, you and Sarah are going to have a son. And he will be, inherit your, you know, your inheritance, your property. And then he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. God has a funny way of doing things, and a strange way, you know. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Offspring be. So your children are going to be as numerous, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So this is a hard thing. And, and we see in Genesis 15, 6, the next verse, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. It is a hard thing. It is something that happened in the heart of Abraham. Abraham believed what God said. And God can see the heart. He can recognize what is happening in your heart and my heart. And it's a beautiful interaction between God and Abraham. God says something, Abraham believes it fully. John Piper, you know, he's a very famous Christian, he's a big Bible teacher. He says like this, he says, true worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. It's a valuing or, or treasuring of God above all things. You see, when God speaks about the Israelites, he says, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far away from me. God is interested in our heart, okay? What we trust, what we put our trust in, not what we speak, not what we show on the outside. And uh, uh, when God says something, we need to first of all hear it and then trust that he will be able to do it. And this is true worship. And we see that happening again and again and again in the life of Abraham. And it is each time it's written, it was credited to him as righteousness. Credited to him as righteousness. Credited to him as righteousness. I wanted to share a story from my life, but I can see the time clock is running very fast. Time is running very fast away from me, so I'll skip that. But what I will say is this. You've heard of Professor Dawkins the guy who wrote the God delusion, yeah? So he says, if there is a God, if there is a God who created the universe and keeps all the checks and balances, it would be petty for him to come and involve himself in the lives of ordinary people. 
Okay, that's what he thinks. But many don't understand that this is the nature of our God. He's interested, you know, in even the smallest details of our life. He chooses to be with us 24-7. He's accessible to us 24-7. And this behavior of our God is not called pettiness. It is called love. It's called grace. He can create special settings out of nowhere for you and for me. And this is worship. It's a two-way process. God speaks and I respond. I speak and he responds. It's a two-way. It's not a one-way traffic. And church, I know that this is your experience too. And I'm sure many of you can share plenty of stories you know, about this. Let's go to point number three. Abraham was secure in God. You see, if you have a loving and close relationship with God, it automatically enables us to be secure. One automatically leads to the other. You have a good relationship, a loving relationship, you understand who God is, you're secure. You're on solid ground. One leads to the other. Let me give you another example from the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham and Lot, they are becoming more and more prosperous as each day go by. Their livestock are increasing and the land is not able to, you know, meet the needs of their increased livestock. And then fighting breaks out between his men and Lot's men. And so Abraham comes to Lot and says, look, you know, it's not good for us to fight. You know, why don't you, I mean, he is the elder statesman. He could have chosen his pick and told Lord to go away from him. But he doesn't do that. He tells Lord, look, you take your pick, okay? And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the north, I'll go to the south. And then, so Lord chooses the best pasture land, the best land that physically anyone can choose. And Abraham was okay with this. He didn't fight or anything. Why? Because Abraham knew who was with him. He knew that God had already blessed him and nothing could change this fact. He knew that even if he was in the desert, God could bless him. God could create a beautiful place for him. And when we go through hard and difficult times, tricky situations, we should always look back at our previous experience. See who is with us and what his promises are to us. And therefore, it's important that we have such experiences and uh, knowledge to fall back on. Now, church, tell me, where do we find his promises? Where do we find his promises, his plans, his desires? Where? In the Bible. In the Bible. Okay? But maybe God speaks to all of us personally. Maybe he has spoken to you personally, revealed something to you. But mostly, all of us get everything about God from his word from this Bible, which I've shown you is, you know, is very, very reliable, very, very reliable. And just think about this. If we say we are believers and if we are God's people <clears throat> and then spend less than five minutes a day reading the word of God or spending time with God, then we have a problem, a big, big problem. Then we are on shaky ground. It's like saying to my wife, I love you, but don't put an effort to spend time with her or express my love and affection to her. I never get to know her. 
Now, church, I know that most of you do. Most of you are much, much better than this. I'm not talking about the wife thing. That is important too. Don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. Okay? What I'm talking about is a time with God. Okay? Time with the Word of God. But if this is not the case, it's never too late to set this right. This is not a religious activity, not a religious exercise. It's getting to know Him better. Hallelujah. Next point. Abraham witnessed God. So we find that, you know, after this great victory, king of Sodom says to Abraham, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. So Abraham tells the king of Sodom, look, I am on the side of God, that the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth. He's standing before four kings, uh, five kings who've been defeated. He's standing before, uh, so four kings who've been defeated, five kings who've been whom he has rescued, he's standing before all of these people and he's saying, I am on the side of the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Can you imagine standing up in your workplace and saying, I'm like this, I'm on the side of God, you know, creator of heaven and earth, you know, and that's what he did. And he's saying, I will not accept anything from you you know, I won't give you the opportunity to say, I have made Abraham rich. You know, my God has given me everything. My God has given me everything. And during this time of great victory, Abraham remembers his God and the special relationship he has with him. He knew where his victory came from. And God loves this because this is a reflection of his faith in his God. And when we do that, This is a reflection of our faith in our God. Jesus, before his ascension, you know, in Acts 1, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, God wants us to witness him. We who have experienced the love of God, the grace of God, and the experience and the security that comes from him, If, you know, we need to talk to our near ones and dear ones about this, about this God, about the salvation that is there in this God. And if you don't do it, then there is every chance that these people can be spiritually lost forever. And we don't want that to happen. Now, I know that most of you here are excellent at doing this, sharing the love of God in season and out of season. But nevertheless, I would like to encourage you to do this more. You see, the first time when I became a Christian, I gave my life to God that night, I was radically transformed. I, I don't know what I was doing. I was, you know, we lived in, you know, this, uh, we call them men's hostel. It's like a men's accommodation. And we have, you know, we have our own rooms. And I've got all my friends in the, you know, in the accommodation, you know, in the various rooms. I used to go to every room and tell them about the love of God. You know, I, was, I was sharing the gospel with all of these people. And I didn't realize what I was doing. You know, it was the Holy Spirit of God in me, you know, radically transforming me to do this. And from then, I was 20 then, I'm 54 now. I've been doing this all my life. And this is something, you know, I'm sure you know, you will be able to tell stories like that from your life too. 
The next point that I want to share with you is God's unconditional covenant with Abraham, which is point five. Now, in Genesis 15, we say, you know, we see, you know, God tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give this land, the land of Canaan, to, to your descendants forever, okay? So Abraham asked God, how can, I be how can I be sure of this? You see, it's not just in a one-way traffic. When God speaks, you can ask questions as well, okay? And, that's what, and God likes that. God loves that. So Abraham asked God, how can I be sure of this? God says, bring a cow, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. So Abraham understands what is going to happen next. Because in that culture, if two people strike a deal, then what they do is they bring an animal, kill it, cut it into two pieces, lay it on either side, and the two people striking the deal, they walk in between this carcass, and they say, this is what I agree with you. Okay? This is what I'm agreeing with you. If I don't you know, keep my side of the deal, then you can do this to me. What has happened to this animal? Or let, you know, I become like this animal. Okay, that's, you know, and it's called a conditional uh, covenant. It's a, called a conditional deal. So that means both parties have to keep, you know, their side of the deal. But let's see what happened. So Abraham did that, brought the animals, cut them into two, you know, laid it, you know, on either side, and then he waited. So the evening came, darkness came, and Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And then a strange thing happened. There was this smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared out of nowhere and started walking in between these pieces. And then God was, as he was walking, this is the presence of God. As his presence of God was going in between the pieces, God was you know, you know, establishing a covenant with Abraham. God was saying, look, I'm going to give this land to your descendants forever, okay? And this is something called an unconditional covenant because Abraham was not in the deal. Abraham was not doing the walking. It was just God doing the walking. And this is why it's called a unilateral or unconditional covenant. Now, 2,000 years later, God made an unconditional covenant of eternal life with the whole of humanity. And uh, when this was put into effect, when Jesus died on the cross, and he ratified it by saying, it is finished. Tetelestai, meaning paid in full. The debt of all humanity has been paid in full. And the only thing we had to do was use our free will, our free choice, and accept it with thanks. We cannot earn it. And if we try to earn it, we have not understood the gospel. It can only be had for free. We can only come as we are. If there is anyone here who, have, who has not yet entered into a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to come into his fold. Come as you are. Jesus is inviting you because he's saying, I have done everything. The door to heaven is open. The door to come to God is open. Anyone can come. So wherever you're sitting, you can say in your heart, Jesus, I love you. I give my life to you. It's a hard thing. He can see it. I was 20 years of age, and as I said, I'm 54 now. And I can tell you for sure that Jesus is the real deal. I have shown evidence that the Bible is highly reliable. The chance of being wrong is, 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 you know, is so small. If you can swallow pills dished out by people like me based on much smaller evidence, then you can certainly believe in Jesus but the evidence is so huge. 
You might say that I'm imperfect, I've got weaknesses, I'm a failure. And you're absolutely right. So do I. So do most of you sitting here. And so do Abraham. All of us are imperfect. All of us have got problems, weaknesses, failures. But that has not prevented us from entering into a beautiful relationship with him. And this can never be taken away. It will last forever. You have the freedom to choose. There is no pressure on you. I invite you to come. Jesus invites you to come. Let's stand up. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We marvel at your love. We marvel at a God, a King, who is so glorious, who has created everything. And Lord, when we were lost, you came seeking after us. You came and emptied yourself on the cross. You gave yourself for us. And you opened a new and living way for everyone in this world to come to you. And Lord, we are now your people because of what you have done. It's free. It's the grace of God. And we praise you and we worship you and we love you for that. And Lord, maybe there are people here who are exploring you, who are thinking about you, who have not made a covenant, who are making a covenant right now, making a uh, uh, make, entering into a relationship with you right now. Lord, I pray that you will come and reveal yourself to them. Come, Lord, come and reveal yourself to them. May they experience your love. Fill them with your love. May your love wash over them, Lord. And Father, we just pray that you'll set people free. And Lord, we commit each one of us here into your hands. Lord, when we go out of here, when we go out into the community, we want to shine with your glory. We want to shine with your light. The life that, we have, that you have put into us, Lord, we want it to flow out of us. And we want to be a blessing wherever you take us, wherever you keep us. Father, we just pray that the light of your kingdom will shine out brightly in this town, in the different parts of this town. And Father, we just pray that many will come to put their trust in you. Thank you once again, Lord. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.